1: all right hey what's up hello we are back with another edition of the dnvr rams podcast presented by brick and rich brewery as always i'm justin michael i'm your host i'm here to talk about csu and today i'm joined by my good friend andre simone the man the myth the legend dr dre what's up dude Ooh, good.
2: How are you doing? Thank you for that, uh, an outstanding intro. I appreciate it.
1: If I don't make it in sports, I'm going to try and be like a WWE commenter. Mm. And so I got to get really good at building people up. That's a, a,
2: a great skill to have, even if you don't go into the WWE commenting. So I think, uh, I think you're right on the right track. There.
1: That's going to be my retirement job. Assuming that That's... WWE is still a thing and like, a billion years when I'm able to retire.
2: Who knows? But if nothing else, you'll be like a positive grandpa, you know? So that's nice. <laughs> <laughs> Building people up.
1: <laughs> well, it's it's better than the other kind of grandpa, I guess.
2: That's right. Yep. Better than the grumpy grandpa, for sure. <laughs>
1: <laughs> the, the other night I had Andre on the podcast, and honestly, most of it was pretty solemn because it was right after the news that CSU football had to shut down for a COVID outbreak. As of right now, CSU is still shut down. Not really a lot of new information there. If you did miss that podcast, go and check it out. But the Rams had eight positive confirmed tests as of two days ago. Nine more unconfirmed. Didn't look good. We'll have to see how that plays out. Like I talked about on the pod before, Boise State did shut down for two weeks. They were able to come back. Plenty of other schools have done the same. We'll just have to see. Andre, I got a question for you. You've been watching a lot of Steve Adazio at Florida, right? What stood out the most to you about that film? I didn't introduce this topic at all, but that's all right. We're just going to jump right into it.
2: Yeah, 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 yeah. We should mention that we go back. We go back to the BSN Rams days, and that's where I was writing BSN Rams film rooms. Um and so, yeah, I'm just the film. film one of, That's one of the things I do around here is I'm the film guy. So it was fun going back and watching. You know, and that's been the weird thing about these hiring cycles for uh, CU and CSU is going back to watch 09 Florida and whenever the hell the UCLA tape I was watching for Carl Durrell. But it was a grip ago. And it's like, wow, uh, things have changed a lot in college football since then. <laughs> <laughs> um, But But that, that would not, if. So if I was writing my piece and there was an overarching theme, I think the overarching theme would be how the the Florida Adazio stuff right in that 09, 10 years. um, So right at the tail end of the Tebow stuff is that it's a nice mix of that new school power spread stuff. That's what any like any team ranked in the top fifteen, that's what they run. It, there might be one or two, like you know, leech disciples in there who are running more air eighty stuff. But Penn State, Bama, Clemson, uh, USC nowadays, they're all just running power spread stuff. It's what Michigan's going to start running. It's what Urban Meyer and those that whole Ohio State, um, you know, and dating back to Utah and Florida, that whole coaching tree. Have been running. It's what Memphis has been so successful at over the years. It's that power spread. So, you know, it's not full on air raid. We're, we're doing three wide, sometimes four wide. We, we like to have those versatile tight ends. We've abandoned uh, the fullback and it's just 11 personnel up tempo. We can run it up the gut. We're doing a lot of RPO stuff. So everything kind of feels like play action fakes. Um, and, you know, it's just kind of run of the mill. And some of the stuff you see, and this, th- this is another overarching theme of Adazio in general, is in 09, they're, they're doing a great job of playing to their, their strengths. And the strengths were Tim Tebow at quarterback, Aaron Hernandez as the tight end and H-back, and Pouncy Brothers pounding it up the
1: middle and, and what have you.
2: So they're doing a lot of almost old-school triple
1: option type stuff, dude, I swear? I'm just like looking at my notes, and I'm like, "Oh, Andre covered it. Andre covered it. Andre covered it. <laughs> but no, like you lit- you hit all of my major themes, which was essentially, you know, set everything up with the run, and you talked about that power spread and a lot of pre-snap movement. You've got a lot of misdirection, guys that are pretty yeah. much eye candy, you know, they don't really mm-hmm. do a whole lot. And and the yeah. thing that I really liked from a power, from a you know power running game and from an option standpoint, the way they used Aaron Hernandez. Talk oh, about crazy. a throwback. Talk it. It felt Great. so weird just like watching Aaron Hernandez and you know, know. In, in a time <laughs> where we didn't know any of that the the stuff that we obviously know now. And mm-hmm. and I'm not trying to to make light of it all. It was just one of those like, wow, like the the world is crazy situations. Right. But you know they used him. If you watch, they, they line them up out wide. They line them up almost as like a hybrid fullback type role. Yep, they put yep. them in the slot. Tebow did that shovel pass to yep. him consistently. Oh, yeah. That stuff really excites me because CSU has a couple of really athletic tight ends. And I really think you could do stuff like that, you know, with Trey McBride, Cam Butler. It's just intriguing to see the ways that they were able to, to get the balls in the hands of their, their best players.
2: 100%. And if they do go more like that, in general, they're doing a lot of stuff as you're pointing out with the tight end being able to move them into the backfield, um, kind of like a fullback, you know, that H-back type role, move them around, lots of pre-snap stuff, or even flexed out into the slot. McBride's going to be great with that. And then from the slot, lots of little pitches, shovel passes. It, with an H-back, that's where they're doing more of the triple option, you know, fake toss here, give it here. So it's almost like some. For any fan who's ever thought like, man, why don't we just like give Troy Calhoun like a boatload of money and just embrace like the option and just like be one of four schools in D one who run option football and just just be that. Just be like a seven, eight win win team every year. You can do a lot of that with what Adazio has done from his Florida background. But what's exciting is what you can do with the other slot and what you can do with a playmaker like Dante Wright out of totally. this scheme. Out of the backfield, in tight from the slot, it's a lot of those jet sweep fakes, you know, and that that window dressing you're talking about. And it's, you know, fake, 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 and pounded up the middle and you're exhausted. Next thing you know, that fake isn't a fake anymore. And now you you gave up on covering the outside because you're so committed to to plugging those middle gaps and you're getting gashed. And, you know, just his speed factor out of the backfield is going to be just massive in general, but it's really going to fit. Um, this scheme
1: 100%. The one thing we should bring up is that, you know, Tim Tebow is not your average quarterback. You know, his athleticism was such a big factor in everything that they were able to do because the threat of him running and keeping it himself is what was able to set up a lot of those power sweeps to the outside. In that that game that we watched uh, specifically...
2: Yeah, against Les Miles' number four-ranked LSU Tigers and a defense that had, you.
1: yeah, nothing well, you
2: know but NFL studs.
1: Phenomenal, just talent all over the field. Yeah. You know, they actually what what made that offense so successful that day? They were just running the dive down their throat over and over again, and it got to a point where finally LSU, you know, they committed to it, and then they just run a little play action and take you over the top. And when you have, you know, wide receivers like. Warren Jackson and and Ty, Nicole, Dante, right? All these people that are, you know, potentially just going to be running wide open down the field if you have the quality offensive line play to make this all work.
2: Well, but it goes back to a point you made early on. It all starts off of the run. Everything's predicated off of the run from those Florida days. And again, that's playing to their strengths. And what you're saying about Tebow is absolutely true. But it did it does force you it forces defenses to really be so assignment sound similar to defending against the triple option in teams like air force, man, you gotta be so sound on each assignment because you, that commitment to the run forces you to dedicate more defenders in the box. And then it, it presents outside one-on-one opportunities. Um, and it, anytime that corner safety is peaking in the backfield because of that RPO look that's inevitably coming on 98% of pre-snap, you know, not pre-snap, but that's what's coming to start it off and makes it essentially a play-action look, That as soon as that corner peeks into the backfield, boom. All like, you need. It's a house call, and that's how Riley Cooper scores a touchdown in that LSU game. And, you know, man, you, you think about Warren Jackson being in those type of situations, and that's pretty exciting, you know.
1: God that that Florida offense was just it, it had to be so frustrating to defend, you know, everything we're talking about with that pre-snap movement, with all the motions that they would do. They send everybody out in in so many different ways. And I also like that you brought up Air Force because that was one of the thoughts that I had while watching this game was, I wonder if Steve Adazio and how much experience he has, you know, with all this type of motion offense and mm. and using the triple option and stuff, maybe that's going to make him a little more prepared to face somebody like Troy Calhoun. Now I will say, I I don't think there's any substitute for facing air force because they just run it to perfection. Everything, you know, out of that wishbone and the dive Mm -hmm. stuff. And it's all about discipline and saying sound, but I mean, Bobo couldn't stop it to save his life. So maybe, maybe Adazio will be the savior that CSU needs for the, for the air force rivalry.
2: Yeah. Well, and that's the thing about stuff like that is, uh, you know knowing how to coach it and simplifying the principles of coaching it can also kind of help you in coaching up players and how to stop it and just sim- cuz really the key is simplifying things and getting guys dialed in on their specific assignment exactly you know eliminate the not because when you're doing that it can be very very easy to stop but boy, that you know, that's a heavy task. And you gotta you gotta really play clear-headed and fast and just like no mistakes. One missed tackle could be the end of you. You know, it, it's just so um so precise there. But yeah, who knows? Maybe maybe that could be the case. But it does have a lot of those same elements in it's gonna stress your defense, you gotta be ultra disciplined. I mean, you're just gonna be bludgeoned with play action and RPO looks and those can get annoying, and it's easy to want to cheat. But as you know, as soon as you do, you do that at the wrong time, um, things are going to go go the wrong way. You know, and I, I had the same note. It allowed Tebow. Well, they're doing a lot of dives, but then it also opens up the middle of the field. Totally, um, and, and you, you saw where, Hernandez
1: take advantage of that constantly. Exactly. Just, just wait for the linebackers to clear out, and then you just drop them in, and and you mm-hmm. can just you know, kill is eight, 10, 12 yards at a time. It's not necessarily going to be a house call, but yep. it's just moving the sticks constantly. And then you try to commit to the, to the tight end. And then you hit somebody over the top on the outside. And it's just, you got to be so disciplined when you have this much movement, when you have so many playmakers, that obviously makes a big, you know, difference as well. It's one thing to call these plays. You got to have the kind of guys that can read a defense and know how to use the space on the field and all that. And Florida definitely had that in spades. But I think CSU is going to be pretty set up. It's it's a pretty ideal situation with the experience that they already have.
2: Definitely. It'll be interesting to see how they adjust to the, the strengths of the personnel they have now because attacking the middle of the field again with those playmakers like Dante Wright, Trey McBride will make a lot of sense because if they have to respect the run, those linebackers are really stressed. I mean, no group has more stress than that. And you're just freezing them. So in that split second where they're frozen, you know, you, know, you know what route he's running. They don't know. So all that throws the timing off to where it opens up those spaces over the middle. Um, and yeah, that's a note I had. At the end of the day, it's Urban's offense. It plays to the team's strengths. This was the strength of that team. The Pouncy brothers look insane. Um, you know, it's, it's all gap scheme power, power running. We're overloading one gap guards are pulling and and doing that coming downhill it's a it's a beautiful thing to to watch and then it's a lot of incorporating that kind of o line movement in these fakes as well so these linebackers are reading a pulling guard and thinking well it has to be a run exactly and moving over here and all of a sudden that opens up space uh, to the opposite side because the linebacker is cleared out because he's following the guard and you can toss it off you know that's where those shovels are opening up and these little running back curls and what have you. Um, so if if you get that, and that's very like Andy Reid and the Chiefs. That's what Lincoln Riley and mm-hmm. Oklahoma's doing. I mean, this is stuff they were doing in 09, You know, eleven years ago. So it's it's pretty impressive stuff to watch. He's definitely been influenced from some you know extraordinary offenses. Now I do have a note in here that with Tebow, as good as he was, as much as he made that offense tick. Tebow did make that offense pretty one-dimensional.
1: Oh yeah, and, and you and you saw that in the in the two thousand nine SEC title game against Alabama mm-hmm. because Alabama completely took away the run from Florida and yep. you know they forced Tebow. They're like, w- w- you can spread it out, it's fine, but you're going to have to pick apart our defenders. And you know Alabama infamously, it's they're going to go man most of the game. They're going to challenge mm-hmm. you. They're going to make you make tight throws and windows. And Tebow really he couldn't do it. And and kind of in hindsight. That probably should have been, you know, an indication Uh, for NFL scouts. Like, this guy's not a true pocket passer, can't make the throws. But, man, was he exciting when he was moving with his legs.
2: Totally. I mean, but even in the LSU game, it's like, man, a note I have is tons of one-on-one opportunities. Like, just, like, nonstop. But it's a lot of those same dives for two, three yards up the middle where it's like, yeah, I don't know if that was a keeper, dude. I think that, I think he should have thrown on that RPO. So, um, you know, I'm excited to see what a, a better thrower like O'Brien can do in this kind of offense.
1: Definitely. I, I am curious to see like, will floor or will CSU use a lot of these RPO principles because O'Brien can move around a little bit, but you know, I, I do think he's successful at throwing on the run and using play action and all that, but. You know, let's be real, he's not a threat to to tuck it and run for 30 or something like that. You don't have to worry about him trucking at linebacker like Tebow or anything. They did bring in Todd Centeo, who's a temple transfer, and he's more of like a dual threat. So they might have some packages for him and stuff like that, but you gotta be careful there because you know, if you only run it with him, obviously defenses are gonna key in on that, and you can only do it so many times. But it's it's gonna be really interesting because. You know, they, they just, they did such a good job of taking advantage of the talent that they have. And you even saw it at Boston college because the offense that they ran at BC, nothing like what they were doing at Florida. Absolutely nothing like it.
2: Yep. Yeah, no, I mean, there it's much heavier sets. It's a lot more two tight ends. It's everyone stacked on the line, almost look like jumbo sets sometimes, you know, like with a six O lineman, um, and that's, again, the strength of those teams at BC the O line, the tight ends, the running backs, you know, and quarterbacks who could run. So that was their bread and butter. And it was a lot of um, simpler uh, east west throwing, not as much north south throwing, not as much vertical throwing, and just trying to get the ball into these playmakers, playmakers of all shapes and sizes, you know, whether it's the running back and A.J. Dillon, where, whether it's trying to run it with um their running quarterback when Anthony Brown was there or trying to get it to their tight ends. It's just trying to get the manufacturer easy touches and see if those playmakers can create yak.
1: I really, really enjoyed watching AJ Dillon. Like in hindsight, I wish I would have watched some more Boston College just because that dude is a beast. He's he's got some size to him. You know, he runs physical. But he's so quick, and they did such a good job of you know, using those power sets to get some sweeps to the outside and you know pulling a guard and having them take out the linebacker. And you know, I, I do think we will see some of that with, with CSU, because Adazio's talked a lot about, you know, we, they got to establish the run. CSU just hasn't successfully ran the football now in about three years, and if, if they're going to be able to do anything through the air, it's all going to come down to running the ball and improved offensive line play.
2: Totally. Totally. No, and I mean, you're right about Dylan. They use him nicely. And again, it's playing to your player's strengths. That's a guy who came in as a true freshman at running back and instantly was a star in the ACC. So the last three years, they built that offense around that kid. And really, you know, let him ride it, ride it away, and they've they've produced some really high end offensive linemen. Chris Lindstrom, who was a first rounder, went to the Falcons. Their left tackles, a red shirt sophomore, and true, you know, he's been a, a starter for the last two years, high end starter in the ACC. He's going to be a, a highly regarded prospect coming out. Um, yeah, so I mean. That's kind of what you found there. A little more trick passes. That's how you're manufacturing the, the deep throwing game. And it's, you know, still some of that pre-snap window dressing. It was coming off reverses and triple reverses kind of, you know, to manufacture some big plays, especially when you're watching them against teams like Miami or Clemson where they were clearly outmanned and they're just trying to even the playing field here, you know.
1: That's one of the things I wrote down. They they weren't afraid to get creative. This was actually something that I found with with Joey Lynch at Ball State as well, and we'll talk about yes. him a little bit more uh, down the line or later in this episode, I should say. But w- when they were playing a team like Miami, like Clemson, which clearly had you know the athletic advantage and the size advantage, they did stuff like that. You know, they did reverses, they did double passes, they did, and and I was actually surprised how much success they had with it. To be honest, like they they did a really good job of one using those to to keep the defense off balance, but two picking the time to actually do them because it's one thing to call a trick play, but you got to be able to do it in the right moment. You got to be able to read the game, and that's one thing that Adazio really seems to be able to do is kind of feel the flow of the game.
2: Yeah, I'm with you. Another note I had with him at BC was um you know still tons of play action still kind of the run initiates everything but more adaptable more short to intermediate game more crossing routes mesh was a big part of it you know having those double crossing routes over the middle which is a big staple of you know the air raid and stuff um so it just seemed like rather than just relying on freezing the second level because we have Tebow and going more over the top of linebackers or getting on on little comebackers and stuff, we're just trying to manufacture, you know, open guys up schematically to create stuff for our quarterback and adjust to the fact that we don't have the same superstars on our offense, you know.
1: And as much as people. You know, they're not going to necessarily be excited by some of the stuff that Steve Adazio did at Boston College. I think, I can't remember which, I think it might have been Clemson. There was a point where it was third and long and the home fans were booing. And the commenters made a comment about how Adazio's even said, you know, I don't care if fans boo. You know, I'm not going to force something yeah. in a winnable game on third and long when it's still in control. He's a guy who, yes, he will get creative. He'll bust out, you know, the the end around, the double pass, the sweep and stuff like that. But it, it's going to be a very strategic decision. You know, it's not going to just be like every, you know, we're going for it. It's third and 15 or it's, it's fourth and three. We got to make a play. They're willing to go for the win, but they're not just like out there with no regard, you know, it's not a a Memphis situation where it's just like chaos.
2: Right. Right. He's all about trickery and deception, but he's not trying to do desperate anything desperate, you know?
1: And I think that says a lot about how they, you know, viewed their teams. They felt they were, you know, they could win those games. Yeah, there was, it was an uphill battle, but it wasn't a situation where, like, oh, man, we got we to gotta get two double reverses here and we're going to have to hit a couple of deep bombs downfield if we're going to have any chance. It was just, you know, we're going to have to make some plays, but mostly we're going to do what we do. Right. Yep.
2: Yeah. No, it's, um, again, it encouraged. Certainly less flashy, um, but they made it work. They made it work. And I think with more wide receiver talent and uh, a quarterback with, you know, a really talented arm um, who can get downfield often, it'll be interesting to see how they adjust. And I think some of the keys to how they adjust are are right there in the offensive coordinator.
1: No, exactly. And, and we'll talk about that in just a second here. I do got to talk about our partners over at DraftKings before we talk about Joey Lynch, though. Andre, what have you been betting on lately that you've had the most success with?
2: Um, incredibly, baseball. I'm kind of finding, you know, baseball. It's so volatile on a game by game basis. You know, um, sure, the Yankees are much better than the Marlins, but often the Marlins will win one game. You know, that's just baseball. It's kind of random. So, underdogs in baseball, especially finding the right time to bet on a on an underdog in baseball, has been going nicely for me. Uh, Rockies. Strikeout over for for pitchers, especially Herman Marquez, have been going really nice, and the Rockies in general have been very profitable of late. It's
1: always fun when you can bet on your home teams. I, I I do recommend you know don't necessarily always just bet with your heart because that yes. makes losing that much more bitter because yeah. your favorite team lost and you lose financially. But when you hit, whoo! It feels good. Feels great. So true. <laughs> Anyways, the final 22 teams have made their way down to Orlando and are ready to get back out on the court. While the ending to this year's basketball season will be different than years past, there will not be a shortage of excitement. There's no better place to get in on all of the action than with DraftKings Sportsbook, the top-rated app. To celebrate the return of basketball, DraftKings is offering all users a special odds boost for the first three days of the season. Bet $20 to win 100 on any team of your choosing. So clutch. I did this. I know Andre did this. Hopefully all of you took advantage of this. It's super easy to take advantage of these offers. All you got to do is sign up, navigate to the promotions tab within the app. If you you don't get your bet in before the game, don't stress. You can do live betting throughout the game. Also a lot of fun. Kind of risky. I'm not very good at it, but it's fun. DraftKings Sportsbook is US-based, making it safe, secure, and reliable. Plus, super easy to deposit and withdraw your funds whenever you want. Gotta love that. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app and use the code DNVR when you sign up. For a limited time, all users can get a special odds boost to bet $20 to win 100 on any team of your choosing. That code DNVR and you can boost yourself to bet 20 to win 100 Clutch! Only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, Colorado only. Other terms and conditions do apply. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for details. Have a gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. I always wondered how the the auctioneers do that stuff where they can just speak for seconds on end and still come out with some diction. It's
2: a talent. It's a talent, all right.
1: I definitely don't have a a career as a professional rapper. We'll just say that.
2: (laughs) Yeah, for the best. For the best.
1: (laughs) Andre, I got to give my DraftKings pick of the week. I'm thinking of going... With the Rockies, I like John Gray against San Diego tonight. I know yep. the Padres are off to a hot start. Yes, am I crazy for going that? No, no, I'm all about this.
2: I've been uh, pounding the the table for the Padres being overrated and the Rockies being underrated. You know, you like your you like your chances getting a guy like John Gray on the mound.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think now's a, a good time to pounce. You heard it here, guys. Rockies money line. Take advantage. That's my DraftKings pick of the week. DraftKings pick of the week. Boom. All right. Let's talk about Joey Lynch and Ball State. Because I do think he is going to be a big influence on this offense. Obviously, he's the OC, so no duh. But I just think it matters because you know, and when, when Adazio got hired, everybody was, was freaking out. Oh no, the death of wide receiver you, Warren Jackson, Dante Wright, all these great guys. We're not yep. going to take advantage of them. What the hell are we doing? And then Adazio goes out and he hires Joey Lynch, a former quarterback and offensive coordinator slash associate head coach at Ball State. Kind of interesting because he left his alma mater. I imagine it's a career move. Figured he'd gone as high as he could there. Or maybe he was worrying about the other head coach getting fired. None of that you know, matters for what we're talking about now. But when I watched Ball State, the thing that jumped out to me, not a, not quite as much of like... Uh, A pre-snap movement. It wasn't necessarily as flashy, but there was a lot of variety in what Lynch was running at Ball State. You know, they would would run some single-back pro-style stuff. They would spread it out with, you know, three wide receivers. What jumped out about Joey Lynch to you?
2: Man, at first when I watched it, I was like, oh, he's the perfect complement to Adazio. He's going to be great. Um, You know, he's going to be great for O'Brien and Warren Jackson and maintaining more of the you know, passing heavy stuff because it's more pure spread, up-tempo, three, four wide guys, lots of 11 personnel, everything's out of the gun, everything's RPO. Um, And then, you know, it's more simplified passing um, concepts, more half-field reads, just like up-tempo, get it out, get it out. And, you know, sooner or later, they're going to break down and we're going to find big plays. But then you start seeing a little more under-center stuff. And you start to see, you know, them running it out of under eleven personnel and running it with power. That same kind of downhill gap scheme, running it north and south, um, you know, and like real big boy football, which was like, okay, this is why he's a Dazio's guy. He can he can mix both those things, you know. And I think that's pretty exciting um, to see more pro style stuff. That we almost is almost like foreign to the college game nowadays, uh, but still see that spread stuff that's just the norm in college football and is gonna be like it's gonna be just perfectly suited for the real strengths of this passing attack um, got me pretty exciting, especially that Toledo game and thinking oh, how man. up and down that was for the Rams last year and how they just served you know Toledo a, a
1: it was like 38 0 at halftime.
2: They just abused them, um, was really eye opening Really, really eye open.
1: And that Toledo game in particular was kind of a perfect example of what we're talking about. You know, they would come out one set and they'd run, you know, a bunch of power, just basically, you know, halfback power type stuff, right? Yep. And they'd do it three, four times in a row, just busting you for eight, nine, 10 yards. And then they'd take you over the top vertical. And then they come out the next series, and they'd be running out of the gun with three wide receivers and a tight end, and they're you know trying to take go downfield a little bit more. I I think it could be kind of a good mix with Adazio, like you said. It's good to see the power run game. You need you need to have some similarity and just a vision for what an offense should be. Yes. And I, and it, it seems like just from what we've watched, Adazio and Lynch see the game in a very similar way. Yep. But, but just given that CSU has all this wide receiver talent. I do like, you know, that you have like a former quarterback calling plays, somebody that, you know, still still wants to sling the ball a little bit.
2: No, totally. And I think can I think can really complement Adazio and that more O line heavy um focus that he has on his game for sure you know and I, and I see stuff like uh, the formation I really liked which was like man this is nice and aggressive he goes you know four vertical routes and a four spread and then the, the running back just pops out so you know they're attacking and yeah it's big boy power football but it's different from the big boy power football um, that Adasio runs which is more like option oriented and you know two guys out the backfield this is more just like hey we're, we're lining up um, under center and we're going to come and hit those gaps and we're coming downhill. So be ready. Cause uh, we're going to gash you if, if you're not, you know, and, and some trick plays here as well, you know, um, first a, a, a throw off a reverse and then like a, a triple reverse for a touchdown here. So another area where they both know to pick their spots and when to kind of hit for those big, you know, big shots.
1: That was one of the things I always appreciated about Jim McElwain's play calling. Jim McElwain would get really quirky at times. He was never worried about, you know, busting out something that, you know, it it might be kind of a gamble, but sometimes it's just worth it. You got to do stuff like that. I think both of these guys, they have some of that, you know, creative riverboat gambler type personality in them, but it's not so much that, you know, it's not a Mike Leach situation like we were going over earlier. I'm just—I'm pretty intrigued by everything that we watched. I—I I wish we would have done this podcast like a week ago, before yeah. football got shut down. Because all I yeah. keep thinking about is God. I want to watch these offenses in action.
2: No, it's going to be fun. It's going to be fun. It's—you uh, know—just watching Adacio. I did wonder a bit, like eh, all these prognosticators that are high on the Rams. I get why you'd be high on the Rams when you look at that talent on offense. But you do feel like, hmm, maybe the maybe the strengths aren't lining up here. But then you watch Lynch; that was really like, okay, we've got all bases covered here. This this talent is really going to strike.
1: I do think running back will will be a big position for CSU this year. You know, Massive. can Marcus Massive McElroy be the running back that the Rams fans hoped he would be? There were flashes of it. You know, he played really well against Fresno State last year. Couple other moments as well. But I, I do think it'll be a situation where you see some of these younger backs, you know, Christian Hunter, they they signed a guy, like Kaiwan Herndon out of Florida, got him to flip over Maryland. Maybe he gets some action. We'll just have to see. I I I do think, you know, whoever is able to to make a name for himself at running back this year is gonna play a big part of CSU's success.
2: Yeah, running back O line keys to keys to this offense, really. Definitely,
1: definitely so. Andre, I appreciate you so much for hopping on with me today. I know you've got dad duty. I know you've got a, Andre's such a great dad. Honestly, like this has nothing to do with the podcast, but I just want to shout him out for being a kick-ass dad. Need to be I more dads it. out there like Andre. I
2: appreciate it. <laughs>
1: thanks I for coming. run
2: or I would become a bad dad. So thanks, man. Always a pleasure. I'm really glad we could do this though. This was a, a blast. Me
1: too. Peace, buddy.